0: in the Bible and the pew in front of you. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Great to be here. I want to thank you so much for allowing my wife and I to come and sharing this family day with you. And I hope and pray that it's a marvelous day for every one of you. There's not anything in life that we're generally more concerned about than how to have a great family. The truth of the matter is, if I can be extremely successful in every other aspect of my life, but I fail at home, then I'm a failure. I've messed it all up. I've not gotten the values right. If I I fail to be what I ought to be at home while trying to be everything for everybody somewhere else, God longs for us in our families to demonstrate to the world what it's like to be a part of his family. From the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end, he talks about that family unit and the things that are needed to make the family work. I want us today to look at one of the great texts about having a great family here in Psalms 127. We're not sure exactly who wrote this particular Psalm, but we know that the sentiments of it are exactly right. I want you just to see three things out of it today that I hope you'll take home with you. One of them is, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Probably. Many of you have either built a house somewhere along the way or you moved into one that somebody else had just built. And either way, most of the time, somebody is going to come along to ask you in a few days, now, who was your builder? And and we recognize that depending on who the builder is of that home, you can know a lot about the quality or lack thereof based on who the builder is. And and sometimes builders that that actually are good builders may have folks working with them that will do a bad job in some areas, and so you still may get pushed aside in some way with that builder that normally does a good job. In building a home, there's just one builder that can do the job right. You can have multitudes of houses, but the reality is the greater concern is not about the structure we live in, but the ones who live in that structure. It's about the family, that is being built inside that home. Listen, there's nothing more common than someone living in a wonderful house having a lousy home life. The size of the house, the beauty of the house, how much the house costs, none of those things will make a difference in the kind of home you have. And God's concern is that we would have a home that is right with him, a home that will do the job that he intends to be, to be done in that home. Think about if you labor in vain unless the Lord builds the house, how does the Lord build a house anyway? What are the things that God does in making that home what it ought to be that, that we cannot do for ourselves. Listen, we think pretty often, unless God is deeply involved in the church life and making things happen there, they just won't happen right. Paul would say, I planted Apollos watered, God is the one that makes it grow. When you think about the church family, It's the action of God that makes all the difference in the world. We can plant, we can sow, we can water, we can fertilize. We can't make a plant grow. Only God can do that. But today, it's not about that church family that I'm concerned about. It's about that physical family. And and what the psalmist is telling us is not only... Is God the one that builds the church? He's the one that builds our family as well. He's the one that will make it whole. One way probably that you can think about God as that builder is given in Matthew chapter seven when Jesus was completing the great sermon on the mount and he said, he that hears these words of mine and does them will be like a, a wise man that built his house on the rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not because it was built on the rock. But he that hears these words of mine and does not do them, he's like a foolish man that built his house on the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house and great was the fall thereof. Now, which way are you building your house? Are you building that home? Are you building your home on the solid foundation of our Lord? Are you allowing His Word and His message to tell you what that family life ought to do? Are you putting the priorities where they ought to be in having a great home? I tell you, God looked down at Adam when he had made him and made all of the other things that were wonderful in that creation. And, and God, looking at all of it, said, boy, it's very good, except for one thing. He looked at man all by himself and said, that's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And he caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, took a rib of out of his side and made from that rib this beautiful woman called Eve. And and he brought her to Adam and Adam looked at her for the first time and said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman. And for this reason or this cause will a man leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And they were both naked and unashamed. Now, I want you to see two or three things. God, in planning that family, in planning the home, said it's not good for man to be alone. That's not the best way for him to live. Loneliness is not a good thing to have. You need a partner. And so God said, I'm going to make you a helper suitable for you. I'm going to make you one that that just fits you just right. And so God made that woman out of the rib of the man. And when Adam looked at her, he recognized that here is a partnership. Here is a way that we fit together. One lesson that's needed in our time, I believe, is this. If you could imagine Adam and Eve that day standing there facing each other without any clothes on and as they looked at one another, listen, everything about each other would recognize that we were made for one another. You put another man there, things don't fit. And, and if you put two women there, they don't fit right. God made us to fit one another, to be there for one another, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually. We are made for one another to be partners in building that relationship that would involve bringing children into the family as a gift from God, a heritage from God, that we might bring them up in the way that God wants us to bring them up. Over in Malachi chapter 2, the last of the Old Testament prophets talking to the children of Israel after they had rebuilt that temple that Solomon built. And, And... Malachi, speaking from God, said to them, I want you to know your sacrifices aren't acceptable. I will not look favorably, God says, upon the sacrifices you offer to me. And they say, well, well, why not? What's wrong with our sacrifices? Listen, he said, it's because of the tears that are on the altar. That, that the wife of your youth, the one that, that you married, that I witnessed the wedding, that, that I made the two of you one so you might raise up a godly seed. He said, you've left that wife of your youth and gone out after other women, often foreign women, And have rejected me and because of the tears on that altar, I reject the sacrifices that you offered me. Now listen, one thing ought to shine out there and that is you can't be right with God while not doing right at home. God said, the problem with your worship to me is the way you're living in the home life. You're not doing right there. You're not working to build that marriage that I join the two of you together, that I made you one. And he said, I didn't make you one for nothing. I made you one that you might bring up a godly seed, that you might bring up children that live for God, that are devoted to God that are servants of God in everything they do, and if you're not fulfilling that purpose, then God said, I'm not accepting that worship that you offer me. God talked about that relationship as being so closely bound to one another that there is not another relationship like in in all of the world. Listen, I can have great friends, I can have wonderful neighbors, but they're just one that I can be one flesh with. And, and I understand today that part of that one flesh idea is a man and a woman coming together sexually. And someone said, well, you know, there can be multiple ones there, but there's more to it than that. God said, I made you one. Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And so there there is a spiritual aspect to that two people becoming one that the physical coming together only symbolizes. He wants that, that oneness to be there in a couple, not just physically. Now, we're not to withhold ourselves from one another, but he wants a spiritual bond to be there in that love and care for one another that, that we make it easier for that other person to live right with God because of who we are and how we live every day. He said, unless the Lord's building it. You're building it on his plan, you're having his presence You're studying his word about how to build that family. You can't have the kind of home that God wants you to have. Secondly, he said, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman watches in vain. In that day, the city normally was built with a wall around that city. Most of the time, they loved to put that city upon the top of a hill that It would be difficult for people to climb there and their armies to attack that city and then when they did reach the top of the hill, there was that wall and and up there on the wall at the highest points would be the watchman and the watchman was given the sacred duty by God that you are watching for my people if the enemy approaches. You are to blow the trumpet that everyone might get ready, that they might prepare for battle, and that we might not be destroyed. God said, what I want you to understand, though, is this. If the Lord's not watching, then you can put that watchman up there with the trumpet and and you can be on the highest hill and I'll allow the enemy to come in and take you over, that it is the power of God that makes the difference, not the size of the hill or the, or the height of the wall that'll make the difference. I need God watching after me. Over in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse number four, he said, marriage is honorable in all, and the marriage bed undefiled. But the sexually immoral and the adulterers, God will judge. And then watch while he moves ahead from that point in talking about marriage. He said, let your way of life be without the love of money. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. What's amazing to me is the tying together of the idea of marriage and marriage being honorable and and the marriage bed being undefiled. Tying that with, and don't trust in money. Don't trust in things. Let your commitment be to God because he said God is going to be there. He's with you. He'll never leave you, nor forsake you over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when Paul writes the last letter and the last segment of that last chapter in that last letter, he said to Timothy, I want you to hurry and come over here before that next trial, before Nero. I want you to come before winter. Come quickly. And he said, at my first answer, that's the first time he appeared before Nero, he said, No one stood with me. All men forsook me. But then watch this phrase. Howbeit, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. See, the reality is when we live for God, when we're building a family the way God intends for us, we're not alone. God said, I'm watching after you. I'm, I'm looking after things. I'm guarding things in that family. Now, that doesn't mean no problems will arise in that family. Go back where we started in Matthew chapter 7 again for a moment. You remember when they one built that house on the rock and the other one on the sand? And, and when you look at what happened then, it's the same thing either way. The rains descended, the floods came, The winds blew and beat upon that house. See, if you think being committed to God is going to make it easy to do right and follow God's plan, and you'll never have any real problems if you just live for God, you've misread it. You're going to have the same storms, the same winds, you're going to have the same challenges and difficulties and problems in life that the rest of them. Matter of fact, you'll have a few they don't have because of living for God. But you've got a foundation. And you've got a presence. You've got the Lord being there with you to make everything work out right. So he said, if you don't have the Lord guarding the house then you're, you're guarding it and watching after things for nothing. You need to get the value straight. And then there's one other one. This is such an important lesson. He said, It is vain to get up early and stay up late that you might do painful labor when it is the Lord that blesses you even in your sleep. Here's his point. He's saying, if, if my work ethic and my, my whole attitude toward life is how can I make more and achieve more and get more and, and, and build everything bigger and stronger, how can I have more things? He said, you're working for nothing. What is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You remember that story Jesus told when the man came to him and and said, Lord, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? And the Lord said, well, who made me a, a ruler and a judge over such matters? And then he he told a story. He said, there was a certain farmer whose crops came in bountifully and, and when they did and the harvest was so great, he said to himself, what am I going to do? My barns aren't big enough to hold all this. What do I do now? And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my old barns. I'll build bigger barns. I'll say to my soul, Soul, take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry, for you have much goods laid up for you for many days. And the Lord said, You fool. This night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will these things be? And then Luke adds this, or I don't know whether it came from Jesus of the adding, or Luke added it by inspiration. He said... And so it is with everyone who is rich in this world but is not rich toward God. See, I need to know, while I ought to be one that works for a living, that does my part, that I ought not to try to get by on a lazy way of life, but I also need to know, My life isn't just for what kind of job I can have, and I can get so deeply involved in physical labor that I miss out on the most important things in my life and can allow my family to go astray. Back when I was growing up down in Alabama, I had a a friend that even in, in our youth, as teenagers, he had a burning passion to be rich. He, he, he said every time anything came along, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I will be wealthy by the time I'm 40 years old. I won't have to ever work again by the time I'm 40. Well, most of us thought, everybody says dumb things, but uh, it won't ever happen. But when Billy graduated from high school, he went immediately to Birmingham, Alabama and got a job working at TCI in the steel mill. And there for the next 20 years, he worked 20 hours a day, at least six days and most of the time seven days a week. Now, at 40, He was very wealthy when it comes to physical things or material things. But his four sons had all left God behind And, and were saying to themselves, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I want nothing to do with it. By the way, Billy was always a faithful member of the church as far as as one could be and work that kind of life. Not only that, his marriage was struggling, but not only that, his health was completely shot. That's true, he didn't work anymore after 40, but it wasn't because he didn't want to, it's because he wasn't able to after that. Let me tell you something. Too many folks in our day have made that, that dollar, some kind of of material security, the thing by which they measure the success of their life and of their family. And many times we're offering our family on the altar of things. And we're destroying it in the process. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's for nothing. Unless the Lord guards the city, you're watching in vain. No security system will work if the Lord's not doing it. And unless you're building that relationship and your work life after the standards of God, putting first things first and everything else far back behind that, then the reality is you're not building that family the way it ought to be. The greatest job you have today if you're a father is to bring up your children in the nurture and the discipline, the training of the Lord. The greatest duty you have if you're a mother in this world is training your children for God, letting them see what God can do in their life. If you're a husband today, listen There can be no greater job than being the right kind of husband in that family where you're one with one another mentally and socially and emotionally and spiritually and physically. You're building that kind of relationship. If you're a wife today, there can't be anything. You can't teach enough Bible classes or be involved in enough PTA to make up for not being the kind of wife you ought to be. That's primary. We need to know our Lord put us here to build a house, a spiritual house the church, but a physical home as well where we demonstrate to the world what matters to God. Today, if your life isn't where it ought to be in the sight of God, you can't build a great home without being right with God yourself. It starts with that commitment to the Lord yourself, that he's first in my life, and I'm going to live the way he wants me to live. I'll put first things first. I'll serve him day and night. Today, if your life isn't where it ought to be in the sight of God, this would be a great time to change it, to make things right with him while we stand together and sing.